Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Hallelujah. Let's open up our Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 12. If you'll join me there. I'm going to switch microphones. Just to make annoyed. Praise God. Revelation chapter 12. So I'll be honest with you. Um, I had, uh, I had um, second thoughts about preaching this message, but... Uh, the Lord encouraged me and said, go ahead, go ahead and preach it, Pastor. So I'm going to. Revelation chapter 12. There is, uh, for movie buffs out there, there is a classic scene in a classic movie called Jurassic Park. Where the scientists are describing how they're going to control the population of the dinosaurs on this fictitious island. And they have explained to the group that's there touring that, well, of course, all of the dinosaurs are not going to be able to multiply because they're all females. And it's simple genetic programming. Uh, at a certain stage, we just deny those uh, eggs a certain protein, which causes all of the dinosaurs to be born female. And uh, that classic scene is when Uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm, uh, portrayed by Jeff Goldblum, pushes back on the scientists' claim that they would be able to keep that population from growing, and the classic line is, life uh, finds a way. And uh, that has become a meme in our modern world today, life uh, finds a way. And uh, there is truth in that little nugget of a line from from that movie, and he turns out, in, of course, in, in the movie, to be correct. That life finds a way, and that dinosaurs begin to multiply. Uh, we know that that's just a movie, but that truth is reflected in the Word of God and in, in history that we see in the world. For example, for 20 years, we know that God had promised Abraham and Sarah an heir that would come from their own bodies. They were old and advanced in age. And God promised them, no, you need to believe the promise because one will be born from your own bodies. And for 20 years, they tried to hold on to hope as they watched themselves getting older and older as time was ticking by. How many know that promise becomes more and more difficult for them to believe with every passing hour that no son is born? And finally, by a miraculous power, life... Uh, finds a way. We have an example from history. For 1,900 years after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman Empire in, uh, in the year 70 A.D., from that time, Jews had gone into exile and had dispersed throughout the entire 
known world at that time, they ran away because they were being persecuted and found themselves without a homeland. And for 1,900 years, they would wander from place to place. Then, in the 20th century, as they were nearly wiped out because of a holocaust under the Third Reich in Germany, in 1948, life found a way. That by some miraculous uh, turn of events, that God opened up the door for the Jews to have a homeland once again. And there, on the map, if you look at it today, life has found a way against all odds. It's the first time a nation had ever been reborn. And it's an incredible miracle and testimony of God's power. I have not mentioned, but uh, have been rejoicing in my heart over the last few weeks as we saw the the actions of the Supreme Court as they have overturned Roe versus Wade. What it shows us for the last 49 years here in the United States of America, we had a federal government that defended the so-called right of a pregnant woman to dismember and dismantle and discard a child even up to the point of birth. That was the law of the land under Roe v. Wade. But aren't you glad that life has uh, found a way that I never expected in my lifetime for that to change? I could not have, you know, the pro-life movement could not have done this on its own, but life has found a way. Incredible. And perhaps the greatest example is that for three days, Christ was in the tomb. That all of hell had thrown its best strategies against the Son of God and had done a pretty good job at beating Him up, at destroying His credibility, hurling false accusations, and ultimately killed on a Roman cross, sealed by a great stone. Oh, but life found a way, didn't it? And Jesus Christ on Sunday morning, that's the reason why we're here, on Sunday morning to celebrate once again, life finds a way. And Jesus is resurrected from the dead. In the scripture we're going to read here in Revelation, we're going to find an incredible depiction from John's incredible revelation that shows us a battle that is playing out right before our eyes today. As those who are students of the Bible will recognize that history is winding down to a defining moment. When we look at the world and the turbulence and the cultural battles and the things that we're looking at today, we can see very clearly that the difficulties and the persecutions and the things that we are witnessing and observing, that they are leading up to something. That just as a woman who is in birth, her labor pains begin to increase, both in frequency and in intensity, that that is leading up to something, the birth of a child. So it is with the end of the age that when we see the travailing of the world around us, when we see persecutions and famines and wars and rumors of wars, Jesus told us, Matthew 24, that this is all leading up to something. And we're going to see a depiction of that in a metaphoric way here in this chapter. It's a great chapter to study, uh, but uh, we're going we're gonna to jump around a little bit. But I want to start right here in Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. John speaking here. 
And he says, I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. There's some powerful truth here that I want you to catch this morning. But let's pray and ask God to help us. Lord, we do thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together, Lord, with uh, your presence and your spirit. I pray, God, that you bring your anointing to this message. God, not just just something to observe and to think about and ponder, but Lord, that our lives would be influenced, that we would be drawn closer to you by the precious blood. We need more than just a religious gathering, Lord, we need your spirit to empower us and equip us for this last day's living that you have called us to. God, that you would put courage into your people, conviction, Lord, to live right, to speak right, and to do right. And we give you all the glory for what you're going to do this morning in Jesus' name. God's people would say, life finds a way. It's the name of this message. And I want to, uh, I want to frame this message by looking at Uh, There are two main characters in this chapter. There is the woman that we've already read about in verses 1 and 2. There is also another character that is is introduced in verse 3. It says, Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads, And with his tail he drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. I want to focus in on this this transaction, this uh, confrontation that is happening between this symbolic woman and the dragon. So who is this woman of Revelation chapter 12? How should we interpret the revelation of John? Well, there's been a couple of ways that scholars have interpreted this, and I don't have a final answer for you, but I would, uh, I would encourage you to do your own study. One way that we could interpret this text is to say that this woman that is bearing a child represents the nation of Israel, God's covenant people. Many times in the Old Testament, uh, the nation of Israel is described as a bride of the Lord uh, of, of God of heaven, that he is described, she is described many times as a wandering uh, wife, that, that uh, Israel, who is unfaithful to God over the, over the history of the Old Testament, at sometimes, and God continually calling her back. You can see this imagery played out uh, in, in uh, so many of the prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, and what's interesting is you even have some imagery described in Genesis chapter 37, listen to the dream that Joseph described to his brothers and his parents. It's in Genesis 37, 9. He dreamed a dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. This time the sun, the moon, and the stars bowed down to me. So this is interesting to think that possibly the woman here in Revelation 12 could be speaking about the nation of Israel. If that's the case, then you have 12 stars around her head, which are symbolic, of course, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then you have the woman who is giving birth, the Bible says, to a male 
child. Well, that is pretty easy to interpret then. If uh, the 12 tribes of Israel are to produce the most important male child who has ever been born, which is, of course, Messiah. And, uh, and Jesus, that male child that is being born, is being birthed through the travail and the labor pains of Israel. There's another interpretation that we can also apply, that that woman is symbolically pointing to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the same way you have 12 tribes, you can also say we had 12 disciples. And the male child in that case would represent the saints, those who are born from the labor pains of the church, that you and I, when we got saved, we were part of that male child that was born that God wants to protect. There's uh, incredible truth there, but whichever interpretation you want to choose here in this situation, the idea is that this woman is pregnant with possibilities. That whether we are speaking about a Messiah figure who is going to come and rescue the world from the plans of hell, or whether we're speaking about the next generation of believers that God is going to save, in either case, it is pregnant with possibilities. That both the nation of Israel and the church are the things in this earth that are worth investing in. There are women here in our service this morning who know what it's like to give birth to a child. That, that uh, there is a painful and a difficult process that God has, uh, uh, because of the curse of sin, has multiplied the suffering that is involved with bringing a child into the world. And yet, why are women around the world willing to do that? Thank God that they are, because they are birthing another generation of people to inherit the world. The church is birthing future rulers of nations. This is interesting. If you read Revelation 2, verse 26, that the promise that Jesus gives to His church in Thyatira, listen to this, He who overcomes and keeps My works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations." He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also have received from my Father, I will give him the morning star. Which is interesting because here in Revelation 12, speaking about this male child that will be born, says this in verse 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Did you know why God wants to save people? Yes, of course, to rescue us from hell, to forgive our sins, to populate heaven. But you know why else? Because God needs people who are going to lead the new heaven and the new earth. That we are called to be the the, uh, ambassadors for Christ in His kingdom when He comes to fix this broken world. Jesus will be the King of all things. He will rule with righteousness, with compassion, and with truth. And according to His glory and according to His word, you, if you are saved, you ought to be prepared to rule a nation. Who, me? That's, That's not Pastor Adam speaking. That is exactly what the Word of God shows us. And so, this is God's plan. This is why God needs people. This is why God needs to save and rescue people because He has a divine purpose and a plan. Some people say, well, heaven doesn't sound very interesting to me. The reason that people are not interested in heaven and seem to be more interested in earth is because you don't know what is going to happen in eternity. 
You've not done enough study. You don't know. Because in heaven, how many know, it's not just an eternal worship service. That would not be interesting to me. It is not just uh, singing Chris Tomlin songs on repeat for all eternity. You know, <laughs> uh, of course there will be worship in heaven. Of course we will, we will uh, lift up the name of Jesus for all eternity. But it's not just a worship service. In fact, in eternity, all that we do will be worship. When you drink your coffee, it'll be an act of worship. When we lead the nations, that will be an act of worship. But I'm telling you, this is why God needs to save people because He has a big job for us. And you know who else knows that? The enemy. And the enemy will do everything that he can to stop the purpose and the plan of God from going forward. And this is the other character we see in this chapter. It is the dragon. We don't have to wonder about who the dragon is. Because the Bible tells us who the dragon is in this, in this chapter. It's in verse 9 where he is identified. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil, or Satan, who deceives the whole world. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, we, we know that from the beginning, his purpose and his plan has been to destroy the pinnacle of God's creation. What is that? That's man. The pinnacle of creation. That You wonder why man was made on the sixth day. It was the last act of creation. God said, you thought all that was good. The mountains and the trees and the oceans and the rivers and the animals and the fish in the sea, the birds of the air. You think all of that's amazing? Watch this. And He made the man. And then the pinnacle of the pinnacle, the woman. Whoa. Now that's an amazing creation. And God said, whoa, man. And there was the pinnacle of God's creation. And of course, the dragon of old, the serpent, watching all of this, he says, now I know what my strategy will be to destroy the pinnacle of God's creation. And since the garden, he has been doing that very thing. He has been attempting to destroy the future. Think of this. The dragon's design, secondly, is that he wants to destroy the future. The present is already here, right? We are here on, uh, on August, what is today? The 7th. And today has already arrived. The devil has tried to stop you from coming here this morning, and he failed at that. Thank God, you're here. But guess what? He's got a plan for next Sunday. He's got a plan to make you, uh, to, to, to make you uh, uncomfortable or to keep you at home or, or, or to cause you to, to be sick or whatever it is. And uh, he is always thinking about the future, just like God is. And you know, the devil is pretty smart. He's been around ever since the beginning. He knows how to strategize. He knows how to tempt and how to uh, deal with people and uh, what buttons to push at what times, right? And one of the ways that the devil is very smart is that he wants to win the battle before the battle even begins. How does he do that? We see in our scripture, chapter 12 of Revelation, that verse 3, a great fiery red dragon, seven heads and ten horns. In verse, uh, in verse 4, it says, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven, threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. This is the same strategy 
that the devil has been employing ever since the beginning. So think about this. When did, does the devil come into the picture? It's like you start reading the book of Genesis, like everybody does, and you're like, okay, chapter 1, awesome, God's creation, wow, amazing, powerful. Then you read chapter 2, and it's like, whoa, even more detail about the, the, the creation of God, and God said it's very good. And then you get only to chapter 3 of the book, and it says, now the serpent. Like, all the way at the beginning. There he is, present. He did not wait for ten generations to pass, right? He didn't wait for a hundred generations to be born into the world. No, he said, right now, i got to attack now, while they're still young, while it's still early, while they're still in their innocence. The enemy told himself from the beginning, if I don't move now, I'll miss an opportunity. This is the strategy that we see here in Revelation. That there he is standing before the woman as she's about to give birth, with licking his chops, because he knows that when that male child is born, whether it's Messiah the Christ, or whether it is the church as new believers are being born into the kingdom, that he is waiting for the new believers. He is waiting for those in their infantile and nascent stages. He is waiting for them because if he attacks early, it's a lot easier than attacking later. This is the same strategy as the Terminator. To go back in time and find Sarah Connor. Why? Because Sarah Connor, she is weak. She, had, she didn't see him coming. She, did, she was unprepared. And so the Terminator goes back in time to attack. I'm not recommending you go watch the movie. But I'm saying this is the strategy of hell. And that's why it makes for, uh, for good Hollywood pictures. Because guess what? The, all they're doing is reflecting the same spiritual truths that have been around for thousands of years. And so the enemy seeks to destroy faith in its earliest stages. We see the same strategy throughout Scripture. We see it, if you'll remember, in the book of Exodus, that Joseph and his family moved down to Egypt. He was the vice, prince, uh, he was the vice president of Egypt for a time and was a great blessing not only to Egypt, but the entire world. And the Bible says that there came a time uh, that some generations passed and there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And when that happened, the people of Joseph's lineage, the Jewish people, became enslaved to the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And in the book of Exodus, we have come to a point after 400 years, symbolically, the, word, the, the number 40 in the Bible is a time of uh, difficulty, trial, temptation, right? You have 40 days uh, uh, in the wilderness with Jesus, you have 40 days uh, of, of rain with, with Noah. Uh, so then you also have 400 years of slavery in Egypt that the Jews have suffered. That's 40 times 10. That's like the worst numerology you could think of. And so 40 times 10 years in bondage to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh becomes a picture of the devil. The devil who keeps people enslaved and ensnared, Right? The whole story of Exodus is how God has to perform miracle after miracle, uses His man, Moses, to deliver the people into freedom. And it's all a great picture of salvation, isn't it? But who is the satanic picture in Exodus? Of course, it's Pharaoh. 
And we have this account in Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. The king of Egypt, that's Pharaoh, spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was Shipra and the other was Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. I ask you this morning, where did that idea come from? It came straight from the pit of hell. That Pharaoh, being the satanic figure, says, uh, I don't want these slaves to become a problem in the future, so it's a lot easier for me to slay them when they're brand new baby born than it is for me to fight them in the future. See, ultimately, the devil is just darn lazy. He would rather kill the innocents at the moment of their birth, and interesting that he is targeting specifically the male children, because it is the male children that if they grow, they become dangerous to the kingdom of hell. You all with me? We see the same strategy in the New Testament. In the Gospel accounts, we know that when, uh, when Jesus is born, that there are the three wise men that we, we, we always remember during Christmas time. And, and uh, we three kings from Orient are guiding whatever, I forget the song, how it goes. But the reason that Herod is tipped off is because of these three wise kings who have come from the east. And uh, he says, oh yeah, yeah, make sure that when you find him, you let me know about it because oh, I want to come worship him too. And Herod, we know, he also takes on this satanic role because when he is so jealous that anyone else might, uh, might threaten his rule as the king of Judea, we see this happen in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Isn't it the same strategy? Isn't it exactly the same attack? That Herod says, I don't want any male child, uh, whether uh, this promise of the Jews is true, this messianic scripture, I don't know if it's true or it's not, but I'm just, just to be sure, I'm going to kill all the male children, two years old and under. Just in case. Because to me, it's, it's, uh, it's far better to destroy them when they are small and when they're infants than it would be to allow them to grow into potential danger. And thank God that He d- instructed Mary and Joseph to flee from that country down to Egypt for a time to escape the wrath of Herod and Jesus. Can, can you imagine Jesus growing up uh, when they came back to, to Israel? that there was no other people, no other male people that were his same age. He had no peers from from Bethlehem because they had all been destroyed by Herod. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, 
and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. So I want to, the reason I'm preaching this this morning, the reason I want to encourage you is because there's people here, God is birthing things in your life. It could be that you're here, you're watching this today, and you have a newfound faith. You have a nascent Christianity that it is untested, it is, uh, it is new, it is exciting. Maybe you're exploring Christianity for the first time. Maybe you're looking at the Bible very early stages, and we can all, those of us who are saved for some time, we can remember what that time was like, so exciting, so fresh, so amazing, God changing our lives in a miraculous way. But we must be aware, because the devil has a strategy for the new believer. He waits for the church to bring newborn baby Christians. And when I say newborn baby Christians, I don't mean that he's filling up our nursery room, although that's also true. But what I mean is that you can be any age and be, become born again. You can be born again at age five. Thank God for people who start believing at an early age. You can also become born again at age 50 or age 70 or age 90. And even though there's a 90-year-old body walking into the church, that person who's a new Christian in spiritual terms is a brand new baby. And whether that person is 5 years old or 50 years old or 100 years old, that the enemy wants to stop it while it's young. And he has a plan to abort what God is doing in every believer. Now that could apply to the new believer. It could also apply to someone who is here today and God is doing something new in your faith. God is doing something new in your Christianity. God is doing something new in our church. A couple of weeks ago, we were in revival. Anybody remember that? A couple of Sundays ago, we had some powerful services. And there was some visitors. We had probably 15 brand new people that came within a two-week time span. And that is refreshing. That is God moving on His church, doing powerful work. And whenever the devil sees God doing something new and fresh and pouring out revelation and, and revival upon a church, do you know what his strategy is? Same thing. I've got to abort those people. I've got to discourage those people. I've got to distract those people before it becomes dangerous to the kingdom of hell. I look around at our world today, and if you're perceptive, you will notice that nearly every cultural battle that we are experiencing today is all interconnected. I want to just show this to you very quickly. Would you help me to find the common thread 
between all of these issues that we see battling out in the culture before us. What is the common thread here? In the last 70 years, we have witnessed the destruction of the nuclear family. That a mom and a dad and kids living together in harmony has been attacked upon every front in our culture. Is that true or not true? That's true. We have seen uh, at, the, at, the, at the base of that, we see a weakening of traditional marriage. That marriage used to be, and for all of human history, uh, the union, the lifelong union of a man and a woman that has been attacked from every side for at least the last 30 years. There was the sexual liberation of the hippie generation here in our nation. That uh, the free love, they called it. Uh, that no, uh, no consequences. Then, of course, which led to the radical abortion movement in our country. Because, you know, you wouldn't want to have a free love movement unless you also had an option to destroy the product of conception. Isn't that true? And uh, isn't it connected that the hippie generation uh, was closely followed by radical abortion policy in our country? This was quickly followed by the exaltation of queer lifestyles. You know, the word queer used to be uh, uh, a word that shouldn't be used, by, but this is the word that now they have adopted to describe themselves. And many times, uh, the homosexual movement, the trans movement, all of the craziness in the public schools. Uh, wh- but what is the end result of that? When we say drag queens are the greatest patriots and heroes in our cult country, what, is, what does it produce? What does it have connected when the government, we have a federal government today that is, that is promoting what they call gender-affirming care. Well, that sounds happy and fun. That is not happy and fun. What that means is that if a little boy comes to a kindergarten and says, I feel like a little girl, that all of the teachers and the staff of that public school is going to affirm their decision, even when they're six and seven and eight years old. Until today, the push to mutilate the bodies of people who are confused about their gender. It results often in sterilization. Remember, what's the connecting thread of all of this? Is there a connection, perhaps, that almost exactly nine months after the advent of the COVID-19 vaccines, we are experiencing worldwide Rising infertility. You say, Pastor, you got your tinfoil hat on? Maybe I do. But is there a coincidence that in the last six months that birth rates around the world have gone down by 10% in advanced economies? I'm not saying that you're a devil if you took a vaccine. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But what's the thread? What connects all of these? Is it a coincidence that many, many women who took the vaccine that their menstrual cycles were disrupted, and that now there's a drop in how many babies are being born. Could I possibly put an idea in your head that there was a strategy behind all of this? That nearly every cultural battle we are seeing is an attempt to stop the baby being born. Is it possible 
that the same strategy that the devil has been employing from the garden to stop things when they're in their infancy before they become an enemy with any power. Isn't it interesting? It's okay, we'll we'll be done soon. Isn't it interesting that almost every policy that results in fewer babies being born is favored by the spirit of our age? And nearly any policy that results in more babies being born is viewed as backwards, supporting a patriarchy, racism, transphobic belief. I think this morning that we need to understand the times that we're living in. I think that we need to recognize the will of God and the will of the enemy. We do have an enemy, and if he can stop more people from being around, hmm, he can find victory. But I want to tell you, life will find a way. God's will is that we, as a people, would be fruitful and multiply. And that is, of course, that applies to actual babies being born. But also it applies to the church, that the church needs to be fruitful, needs to be multiplying, needs to be uh, moving forward and not stagnant. Now, when you see a church that's only full of gray heads, there's something wrong with that picture. When a church is not bearing the fruit of the kingdom, that there's no new believers, that there's a problem with that. Genesis 1.22, God blessed them, said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters, let the birds multiply. Genesis 9.1, God blessed Noah and his sons, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. God says, yes, make a lot of people. In fact, that was God's very first commandment to the, to the man and his wife. Leviticus 26.9, I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful. I will multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. And today, I just read an article uh, about the millennial generation. That's, that's people who are generally 35 years old and younger. That today they're not having children and it's on purpose. And they're looking at the economy. And they're looking at what it does to their body. And they're looking at, uh, at their lifestyle. And uh, many times, those, that generation uh, has a birth rate about half of the previous generation. That's very concerning. God's will, Psalm 144, verse 13, that our barns may be full, supplying all kinds of produce. Then our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our field. God is looking to fruitfulness. But here's the hope this morning. Life finds a way. We read in this scripture about the dragon's demise. Stick with me as we close. Verse 4 again, the, the, the dragon stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Then there was war in heaven. Verse 7, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. The dragon lost the battle. He and his angels forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Verse 10, it has come at last, salvation and power and kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren and our sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. They have defeated him. That was a good place to say amen. They have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives that they were afraid to die. Verse 12, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. 
but terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. This is what we're seeing today. The devil with little time left, his anger begins to be enraged. Verse 13, when the dragon realized he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman. The, the devil pursuing the church in our generation who had given birth to the male child, but she was given two wings. This is where the hope comes in, church. Verse 14, she was given two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for the time, times and half a time. There's a lot of prophecy to go through to understand that. Verse 15, then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. This is where we're living today. The dragon who is angry at the woman, angry at the church, angry at Israel, declared war against her children. This is the war that is playing out right before our eyes. It is not an earthly war, even though we see earthly wars and could be connected but the great war that's happening is a spiritual war and what is the object what is the what is the goal how does this war either won or lost it is the souls of men and women the most precious thing in the world is the souls of men and women eternal souls i saw an interesting little uh clip online of a missionary couple that lives in the nation of nairobi or the city of Nairobi, nation of Kenya in Africa. And uh, as they were doing missionary work there, they discovered that there was many families that would become pregnant and wouldn't be unable uh, financially to care for those children that were being born. And so they saw a great need around them. Uh, many babies were, were dying as a result of starvation. And, uh, and so because parents... Uh, were so desperate for finances that they would, uh, if women be, would become pregnant, that they would abort the children even before that they were born so that they wouldn't starve to death. Desperate situation. And this missionary couple saw this happening and decided to do something about it. So they had a, a place, a compound where they lived, and they have an exterior gate. And in their gate, they, they, they installed a baby deposit box. And they had put a big sign out front in front of their gate that said, do not throw away your baby. Do not abort your child. And there was a little door that could open up and inside was a protected place that said, no judgment, no fear. You put your baby here, we will not prosecute, we won't do anything to you. We just want your child to live. And in time, people started following those instructions. That those desperate mothers and fathers who could not care for their babies, that they began using the baby deposit box and began putting babies into that. And they began to adopt all of these children. And so the picture that was included with this uh, video was them surrounded by about 20 little black babies. Beautiful. So wonderful. They're there's dad and there's mom and they've got their own kids and they're from America and uh, but they've they've got their own people to take care of but then dad's got about two babies one on each arm mom's got one on each hip and uh they are willing to care they they have resources said please please we want them 
This should be the attitude of the church of Jesus Christ. We, not only do we know that there are, is a life, there is value inherent in every human life, but beyond that, that there is value in every new thing that God is birthing in your life. It's a new faith. It's a new believer. And we're going to fight against hell. We're going to fight against Satan's strategy. We're going to fight against that. Re- remember who it said defeated the dragon. Who, who defeated him? The church did. That the, the testimony of the believers, it was by the blood of Jesus and the word of their testimony, he was defeated. That it is the church's job to, to, uh, to resist the power of hell. Who was it? Uh, Edmund Burke who said that for evil to triumph, it only takes good men to do nothing. When the church is irrelevant, when the church is powerless, when Christians are inactive or distracted on social media, when we do nothing, evil will triumph. The Satan will have his way. And the forces that destroy future potential and life in our culture will prevail. Our job is to stand up to stand up for those who will one day bring defeat of the enemy. Think, our job is very much like those midwives in Egypt. That when, say, when a Pharaoh uh, instructed them, uh, when you see a male child, uh, just cut his throat, no problem, and throw him away. Those midwives, the Bible says they feared God. They feared God and they refused to do that. And they protected it. And uh, this is why the people of Israel began to multiply. And they grew in strength and in numbers. And God was able to rescue them. So often our role is, is the role of the midwife. We're here in the church. We're faithful believers, right? We're supposed to be the ones who are protecting the innocent. Protecting them in their infant stages, protecting and praying for those who are new in the faith, protecting the flame of revival when it is sparked, protecting the new things that God is doing in our life, not extinguishing as soon as we see the spark. We are supposed to be the ones that are guiding new believers into discipleship and into into uh, usefulness for the kingdom of God. But too often, the church, we become those that Jesus warned about. It would be better for Him, those who offend these little ones, it would be better for Him if a millstone were hung around His neck and He'd be cast into the sea. Why is that? Because Jesus was concerned about the little ones early in their faith, early in their journey with the Lord. So here's my call today. Recognize that hell has a strategy to destroy the church, to destroy the new things that God is doing in your life, to destroy the new hope, the new truth, the new revelation that God is putting in you, the new believers that God is giving to us, that there is a strategy. We must resist that. We must value and honor what God is doing in our midst and in our hearts. We should not be the Holy Ghost fire extinguishers putting out the fires of revival when God gives them to us. But instead, we should be those encouraging life. Life will find a way. Because the truth is that God's church, He is building His church. This is not just about the potter's house on Lynnhaven Parkway. 
The truth is that revival will come to the earth. The question is, will it come here or to another location? I want to be on the side of life. I want to be on the side that defends the precious life that God is giving. I want to be on the side that encourages new life and new new faith. I want to encourage you also to be on the side defending life. Let's bow our heads for just a moment and close our eyes. Life finds a way. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.